Danny Stutzman will lead a defensive resurgence in 2023. We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. And Josh, coming out of uh, the Newcomer Media Day, uh, Brent Venables had some really uh, positive things to say about Danny Stutzman You know, after his first season starting for the Oklahoma Sooners. And, I mean, really, it seems like he's kind of that leader on the defense. Now Brent Venables called him Oklahoma's best player in the cheese at bowl. So I'm kind of buying all the Danny Stutzman stock at this point in time, you know, had a really strong first year as a starter at linebacker now is going to be relied upon to be a leader for that defense. And I really think that he's still an ascending player. Here was the quote. If you missed it from Brent Venables quote, Danny was outstanding in our bowl game. I think it was quite obvious. He's the best player in our defense. And I say that because I'm not worried about Danny, you know, getting full of himself. But I'm also going to recognize a guy that I think we can build a defense around. And he's got a lot to improve at, too. You know, physically, fundamentally, understanding. But he's a guy that's been putting in the work. And he's fanatical about putting in work and improving. Got a great sense of desperation, end quote. I'm with you. That's some pretty hefty praise from the the head coach who obviously has the track record, John, of receiving terrific linebacker play. So he knows when he's got the goods in a linebacker. And it seems like Brent Venables feels like, okay, he, he was public about the fact that what? It took eight to ten weeks for Danny Stutzman to ask, ask for the playbook last spring. But remember when we had podcast on the Prairie Gate Brent Venables was the first to say, wait a second here. Hold up. Danny Stutzman is doing some really, really nice things for this team. So he's clearly Venables very, very high on, well, what Danny Stutzman has already done, what he already means to this uh, defense, and then obviously where he thinks Stutzman can go. And and to be real, too, they need him to be that guy. Like they need to him to an ascend or to ascend to an elite level at the position because you don't really have much else. The rest of your linebacker core is 2022 and 2023 signees and Shane Witter. Like that's your linebacker group. As of right now, Deshaun McCullough coming in, if he's your cheetah, then he kind of factors into that as well. But the rest of it, I mean, it's a lot of guys with a lot of potential, but you don't have any experience really. I mean, Jaron Kanick is your most experienced linebacker. I mean, Deshaun McCullough played edge last year, so he's going to be making a, a move if he ends up at cheetah. So you're, you're looking at Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick as your most experienced players, and you feel good about what you got in Stutzman. Now you need him to kind of take his game to the next level and, and really continue on that trajectory. And I think he did play well down the stretch of the season, but it's hard when you're playing 90 to 100 snaps in a game 
to maintain that same level of play in the fourth quarter that you had in the first quarter. And I think that's what we saw in the West Virginia game. And I think that's what we saw for both Stutzman and Aguebu and White in the Texas Tech game too. It's just they faded down the stretch because they were playing so many snaps. Only two players on defense in all of the FBS played more snaps than Danny Stutzman. And those two players were safeties. No linebacker played more snaps than Danny Stutzman did last year. And I mean, I think he did an admirable, admirable job when they didn't have any other answers. Again, this was a defense that had a hard time getting off the field. Now he was part of that defense that had a hard time getting off the field, but again, just his first season as a starter. And I, I really think that the relationship that he has with Brent Venables allows Venables to say things like, Hey, he wasn't mature enough last off season. And then coming into this off season saying he's our best player or one of, yeah. I mean, he basically said he's our best player. And I think you can probably see the, the difference um, in just the way kind of he operates in the program and the way the program operates with him. And like, I don't know if he's the guy doing all those interviews with the newcomers that you saw on the OU social media accounts. If he's not, taking everything else seriously if that makes sense yeah he's he's a jokester he's got a fun personality but if he's not doing all the other little things right do you think brent venables is signing off on him doing you know these newcomer interviews with the media maybe not but to me that's just a sign that he's doing everything else right and this might be too high of a bar to hold somebody to but uh for what it's worth danny stutzman last season six games with double figure tackles. And I know we've done this uh, demonstration or had this conversation before where the total tackles tally is sometimes maybe a little misleading, right? But just in a general sense, six games with double figure tackles tells you, tells me, tells all of us something's going right, right? With Danny Stutzman. I mean, that, that much is clear. There's some serious, serious production there. Two games last season, with multiple tackles for loss four TFLs versus Kent state. And then a pair of TFLs versus Kansas. He did have one and a half versus Texas. And he had one versus Florida state. Again, this is where I say, maybe that's trying to raise the bar a little bit too much. If a, if a linebacker's coming downhill and stopping somebody rush of two gain of one great. Right. But I would like to see maybe that TFL number in that regard, elevated just a little bit for Danny Stutzman to take that next step forward. Just that one, one little bit quicker bit of recognition for Danny Stutzman. But uh, I, I read the comments just like you did, John. I mean, to me, that's Brent Venable saying this is the best player on our defense and I expect him to be the best player on our defense. So you're asking about kind of efficiency, tackling efficiency. And I think this is a really interesting thing that pro football focus does with their stops uh, statistic it's one where they basically a stop for them is considered a play in which the defense creates a loss for the offense not necessarily a loss of yards but it's it's an inefficient play so on first down if you don't gain 40 percent of the necessary yards to get a first down then that's considered a loss for the offense the player gets a stop uh, on second down i think it's 60 percent of the yards and then on third and fourth down has to be a hundred percent of the necessary yards to gain, to get a first down. And Danny Stutzman, I mean, he led the Sooners in stops going away. He had 54 stops. The next best was David Aguebu with 37. If we want to look at this just on the big 12 scene, um, give me one second to pull it up, but I bet he's pretty good 
on that front as well, because I mean, the dude was around the football. And I think that's one thing that really stood out about Brent Venable's defense this year is that, I mean, they flew to the football and they, they tried to get as many ball or as many tacklers to the ball carrier as they possibly could Uh, amongst linebackers in the big 12. Danny Stutzman was number one in, in the conference with stops. So yes, I mean, we, we talk about how, the tackling number can be a bit misleading. The stop number is not at all misleading. That means he's creating plays that aren't winning plays for the, for the opposing offense. He's getting them down, getting the ball carrier down uh, before they're gaining efficient yards. Again, number one amongst linebackers in the big 12 in stops. Um, and then amongst any position, it looks like uh, for the big 12, he was number one. Um, we can just go by, you know, in the nation. Let's see where he's at. He was number 12 in the nation among all defenders at the FBS level in stops. So yes, tackles can be misleading, but I think the stop number is the one that really shows that this is a dude that's making efficient plays for the Oklahoma Sooners defense. You want that missed tackles number to drop a little bit, that missed tackle percentage to drop. He was like 14%. But again, I think that's a that is attributable to the number of plays that he played for the Oklahoma Sooners defense. You get some better depth, which Brent Venables was very adamant about saying that the depth is much better at the linebacker position this year than it was a year ago. You get better depth. You get guys that you can like if you got Kobe McKenzie that can come in and play the will and give you four or five series. Um maybe three series to spell Danny Stutzman, man, that's so much better than it gives you an opportunity to keep Danny Stutzman fresh for the fourth quarter. When you need somebody to come on the field and you got to have a play, then you got Danny Stutzman at his freshest to, to make that play. And again, another year with Schmitty in the strength and conditioning program is also going to make him better conditioned to be able to sustain a high level of play through four quarters. So I think everything is really working in the favor of Stutzman. I also think, you know, uh, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe, ascending into probably into being starters. I think that's really going to benefit this defense as well, because those two dudes, they're both, I think they're both really good kind of two way players, both really good against the run and can generate some pass rush. And so they're, they're going to make things a little bit easier for the linebackers, in my opinion, um, than maybe like a Jalen Redmond, who was a really good pass rusher, but I felt like he wasn't as good of a run defender as Oklahoma needed last year. So again, Buying all the Danny Stutzman stock, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. And I also like that you get a guy with some speed next to him, like a Jaron Kanick, uh, playing the other linebacker spot. And I, th- I really think that that matches up very well, uh, as opposed to having two like big, strong guys that they had in Stutzman and Aguebu last year. Not that they're bad players, but it's nice to have a little bit of um, athletic diversity, if that makes sense, at the linebacker position. Sure. And, and if that light bulb has fully clicked on, for Jaron Kanick, we, we've we've heard, we've seen the athletic uh, ability that he has. So all of a sudden you start thinking about pairing that opposite. Danny Stutzman, and oh, by the way, you got it, Deshaun McCullough, that we'll see where he's going to factor into all of this. It sounds like the early return on that question is that they're looking at Cheetah for him. I still kind of look at McCullough and say, okay, this is someone that, to me, I don't know is necessarily going to be locked into any one thing. I think that that's trying to, figure out right now throughout the spring and into obviously the fall next season okay would it work long term at cheetah because this is one of our best football players it's simply put we got to find a way on this defense to get mccullough on the field and if it works at cheetah then great it works at cheetah right alongside and then you're talking about maybe having the the best set of uh, linebackers and 
Uh, you know, I don't know about McCullough's coverage skills, but, you know, some guys that can cover a little bit too. They might have the best collection in the Big 12 if that light bulb clicks on for Jaron Canick and if it works for McCullough at the Cheetah where you can, you know, basically have a, a three-linebacker set, uh, obviously, when you want to there. We have recruiting news that we got to hit out there. We got recruiting news as well. The, uh, you know, one thing, just real quick before we move on, the the numbers, one of them that jumped out to me when you start talking about the stops is that's encouraging to me. That's, that's encouraging. It tells me that Danny Stutzman for the most part is doing what he's being asked to do. It's just Oklahoma collectively, John, that third down percentage defense number of 41% that they allowed last season. That's not just Danny Stutzman specific, right? I mean, that's just Oklahoma defensively. To me, that's the big number. If they could, if they can improve that, they're going to be light years better. They were 88th nationally in that department. But, Again, we've got uh, recruiting news to talk to you uh, about, but not before I tell you that, hey, small business owners, hiring managers, you know that you want success in 2023 and success in 2023. It all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, uh, the values, and the experience to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs, it helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, and their 875 million member profiles to post your job in front of the most qualified candidates. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So check them out. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free, linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The, the recruiting front, we have nothing, I don't think, in the way of a commitment, but positive news, perhaps. Yeah, the Oklahoma Sooners received uh, their second prediction for 2024 safety, uh, Michael Harrison. Sorry, Michael. Where'd he go? Michael Patterson McDonald. My goodness. Sorry, everybody. Um, been a long day. Michael Patterson McDonald, a 2024. He's an unrated safety prospect right now uh, out of Westmore High School in Moore, Oklahoma. And very intriguing prospect uh, according to our guy parker thune good buddy of david stone so just kind of an intriguing little connection there but you look at the dude's huddle highlights and this is a guy that's going to be i think he's going to be a four star when it's all said and done he's a tenacious player gets after the football gets after the ball carrier is not afraid uh, i mean he plays physical you can play him at safety you can play him in nickel you can play him some outside corner depending on the matchup I really like this dude's game, and I really think he's going to be a guy that Brent Venables really, really wants to have on his defense, uh, regardless of of what happens maybe with David Stone. But he just seems like a guy that you can help kind of add a little bit of a, a bit of an edge to your secondary. Uh, someone who maybe like a Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech can come in and provide that kind of that nastiness that you want in the secondary a little bit. I think he's a guy that brings that to the, to the table. So very intriguing prospect, even though you don't see him rated with any, you know, three or four stars at really anywhere, but second prediction came through Parker Thune of OU insider at two, four, seven sports dropped a crystal ball uh, back uh, 
you know, late January, early February, Josh McQuistian of Sooner Scoop at Rivals gave a future cast uh, for this kid. So a lot trending positively for the Oklahoma Sooners. And if, big if, big if, there is some in some way a package deal between him and David Stone, you got to like what this potentially means for Stone. But again, the biggest of ifs on that front. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think the the writing is on the wall on that. Just because I look at the uh, Michael Patterson McDonald offer sheet, and it's from Oklahoma, it's from Michigan State, it's from Oklahoma, it's from Michigan State. So, and he's also got offers from Tulsa and UNLV. But that tells me that the two perceived front runners for Mister Stone understand that this could be an important domino to fall in that recruitment as well. No shade to uh, obviously any of Michael Patterson McDonald's uh, own abilities as a talented safety over at Westmore. But again, I think that the recruiting writing is, is on the wall for you there. Michigan state. I don't think would know much about this unrated kid, if not for his relationship with Mr. Stone. Hey, you know what? And I'm not going to, and big shout out to David Stone. Like you got a buddy who's not being properly evaluated or recruited yet. And you want to get him a little love like, dude, why I'm, I'm all for that. Like give your guy, give your guy as much opportunity as you can. And I, I really do think that this kid's got, got the four star talent. I mean, I really do. I don't know what the talent level and the, the level of competition is like for Westmore, but I imagine it's pretty good uh, considering the, the more Norman Oklahoma city kind of, greater metropolitan area i feel like it's got to be pretty good so i mean he stands out you know from what you see so i i'm in, i'm intrigued i really am intrigued um if if the david stone connection wasn't there and somebody showed me his film i'd be intrigued anyway because i just think he's got that kind of ability that you want to have at the back end of your defense like a dude that gives no f's and he's just going to come up and hit you like that's the kind of guy you want in your secondary, uh, whether it's at safety, especially at nickel corner. Like you want some dudes that just feel some way about themselves with a confidence level playing in the nickel. And I really think this is one of those kids that's got that that kind of like, you're not going to beat me. I'm going to I'm going to dominate every snap. You're not getting by me. And if you do somehow get the ball thrown at you, you're going to feel that I'm there when it comes your way. So yeah, man, give me, give me some, you know, give me some McDonald, man. Give me this kid out of Westmore. I'm all for it. Just generally speaking, this 2024 class for Oklahoma, we're waiting on the, the first name to drop. Right. And when that happens, we could start seeing names in a flurry. Generally speaking for you, what, what's sort of your feelings on, out of the spring game, are you expecting multiple commitments for Oklahoma? The summertime last year was when things really started simmering to a boil for OU. So that's kind of, I think, the timeline that I'm targeting for things to heat up would be just, again, the the summertime for OU, just based on what we went through a recruiting cycle ago. But how, how do you feel about this? Are you in any way concerned that Oklahoma does not yet have a commit? No, not at all. Not at all. Especially after the way last year went, you know, uh, by, I think it was like by June, you only maybe had four or five commits and the only ones really of significance were Jackson Arnold. Uh, I mean, you had Josh Bates and everybody really liked what they saw in Josh Bates, but it seemed like 
okay, you haven't really started hitting on the four stars. Remember all the, the think pieces coming out about Oklahoma's recruiting being in trouble and June, July, August, all those think pieces went up in flames. I mean, they got cold taked um, by themselves. And so I, I'm of the mind, like if we're sitting here in July and we haven't started seeing the dominoes, like the Aaron flowers, uh, you know, the Michael Hawkins is the Williams and Winaries, like, um, and now that's, that's going to be a tough one, but I mean, it seems like the writings on the wall for like Bryant Wesco and Aaron flowers and, you know, Parker's still feeling fairly positive about Michael Hawkins. You know, if you don't start seeing some of those names trending your way, or at least landing uh, with an Oklahoma commitment, then I'll be somewhat surprised, but not, not concerned. It's going to take a lot at this point for me to be concerned. And you'd have to me, I feel like I'd have to be in August or September uh, without, you know, a top 10, top 15 recruiting class. If we get to August and it's not a top 15 class, I'll be a little bit, okay, what's going on? You know, is this still a David Stone, you know, shoe that we're waiting to see drop? That's, that's kind of where I would land, but I feel, I feel comfortable. I feel really confident that uh, Oklahoma and his staff are going to put together another really, really good class. Yeah, I think we just have such faith in what Brent Venables and his staff, their recruiting chops, Bates, everybody, what they can get accomplished that you just don't panic a whole bunch until there's reason to panic. I will say, though, some of the names that you're talking about there, if, for example, a David Stone has committed to Michigan State, and if, for example, a Winery has committed to Missouri, and, and those two guys are – off the board, right? Because nobody's really off the board until uh, the national letters of intent come in. But if those have happened, then okay, whenever that date would be, I think you would see some widespread panic among Oklahoma fans about, hey, what what the heck's going wrong with this class? But until that day happens, and let's hope that day doesn't come at all, let's hope it's the opposite, and we're talking about Oklahoma landing a pair more of five-star guys up front, and if that happens, then uh, people are going to be really, really excited. And, you know, until they make any sort of a decision, I think because of what this staff has done in this 2023 class, you have the benefit of the doubt now. Yeah, until and really until National Signing Day, the early signing period or the signing day, I'm not going to count Oklahoma out of any of their targeted, uh, you know, recruitments. You know, if they and up until David Stone signs, up until Williams and Winery signs, Michael Hawkins signs like I'm going to not count them out completely because of what we saw with Peyton Bowen, like swooping in at the last second and pulling off a, a really incredible upset. Uh, so it's, I mean, recruiting is never going to stop and we won't know, no for sure. But I really do feel like with Venables classes, we're going to have a really good idea of what this group looks like by mid to late summer. And yeah, did they have a couple guys flip out of their recruiting class last year? Yeah. You had, you know, Ashton Cozart, you had Colton Vasek, you had Anthony Evans, but there was a lot of, you know, extenuating circumstances with those guys. Cozart, a Pacific Northwest guy, uh, <laughs> Colton Vasek, Texas legacy. It was kind of a, sh a shock that they got him in the first place. Um, and then Anthony Evans, his mom is a Georgia fan. He wanted to play for his mom's favorite team. So Again, extenu extenuating circumstances, I think more often than not, 
the guys that Oklahoma gets committed by August or so are going to be sticking with Oklahoma because that's just the way Brent Venables is going to operate. He doesn't want these guys committing too fast, too soon, and then flipping those commitments. So I think that's just going to bode well for the Sooners. All right, we got some some hot topics, uh, Sooner sports off the gridiron uh, to discuss here after I talk to you all about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Easy to eat, 100% covered in chocolate. It tastes great. It's great for you. Anywhere from 130 to 170 calories, four or five grams of sugar, 17, 18 grams of protein. You're not looking at a lot of sugar, which is fantastic. I know if you're looking for a snack, often it's easy to just go look for the cookie or go look for a candy bar. Well, Built Bar has got you covered with a well-balanced protein option that gives you the the craving fix that you need like gives you that sweet fix that you're looking for and you're not paying for it with all of the fat all the carbohydrates you get a great protein bar that tastes great with great flavor options like the peanut butter brownie and the mint brownie which are my personal favorite also great granola bars over there as well so go to built.com use promo code locked 15 get 15 percent off your next order over at built.com so josh i mean a very interesting weekend for the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, we can start softball. We can start basketball. I mean, just so many things happening this weekend with the Sooners. Where would you like to start? Let's just get the disappointment of softball out of the way. Yeah. Number one, Oklahoma, uncharacteristically, loses to Baylor. They did, uh, they did have the tying run on third base with two outs in the sixth inning after cutting a four-to-one deficit down to what was the eventual final four to three. But obviously, you know, by now the, uh, the final tally being four to three, Oklahoma didn't play that runner and they didn't, they didn't play another one in the seventh either. So Baylor came away with uh, a surprising win over number one, Oklahoma. It's a huge win, obviously for the bears for, uh, you know, obviously their, their seating case, whenever that point in time comes, uh, I'm shocked. Uh, I'll raise my hand and say, you know, look, I was right here. Uh, ringleader of the band saying that I thought that this team would very much challenge to potentially go undefeated and, you know, lo- late, late, late into the, the calendar year, have a chance to do that. But obviously uh, egg on the face that didn't happen. Uh, Jordy ball, surprisingly three run bomb. Uh, and that those, those kind of things that's, that's tough to overcome. John ultimately look, the undefeated season, silly. It doesn't matter. Oklahoma's going for a three-peat. This doesn't affect that really in any way, shape, or form. Honestly, it's probably more positive than it is negative in the sense that I'm looking at a quote right here from Patty Gasso, quote, what just happened is extremely valuable. What's valuable is the response, the rebound, and the extra work that's going to be put in to make us better, end quote. Yeah, it's it's a disappointing loss, and if you're Oklahoma – you don't expect to lose. And so maybe this helps get the monkey off the back a little bit. Maybe helps, you know, lighten up things for a lot of them, especially the new ones like the Sydney Sanders, Alina Torres, uh, you know, who aren't really hitting great yet. Um, they haven't really found their stroke in the 2022 season. Tiara Jennings expected to kind of be the, the Jocelyn Allo replacement. Hasn't really found her power stroke just yet. Uh, finally got her first home run of the season uh, against, army i believe um but yeah they, they just haven't really found it um you know your best hitters so far have been jocelyn erickson the true freshman Alyssa brito who had transferred from oregon last year 
those have been kind of your two most consistent. Jada Coleman leading off has been really consistent, but you haven't really gotten consistency. Uh, Haley Lee. Haley Lee is another one that's been really good. Uh, but you're missing out on, you know, Tara Jennings. Once she's, once her bat wakes up, Sydney Sanders, once her bat wakes up, this thing is going to be humming. And I think it's only a matter of time before those two really start finding their, finding their stride. Um, and then, yeah, for ball, sometimes you just leave one hanging and you get, you get beat. You know, a lot of times she's able to get away with some of that stuff because of just the, the dynamic ability that she has with her other pitches that if she misses kind of, it's a surprise. And even for the hitter a little bit, and they're not able to fully get a hold of it, but I mean, the, the hitter made a great swing on it and just put it out. And that's just the way that goes. But I mean, she was kind of getting hit around the yard uh, for a lot of the day and was able to escape a few different jams, but uh, I don't have any much, I don't have any concerns long-term about this Oklahoma center softball team. I think they're going to be just fine. Again, once Tiara Jennings really starts finding her, her stride and Sydney Sanders, I mean, you don't go from hitting 400 as a true freshman with 21 home runs to batting just over 200 and have, have and struggling at the plate. You just don't do that. Now they're going to have several tests this coming weekend um, that, that, that are really going to put them to the test, but hopefully they're able to rebound and, and play a little bit looser um, and then just go out there and have fun. Not uh, a picture-perfect start, not a College World Series-type start for Oklahoma baseball either. Won that first game versus Cal Baptist 5-2 to two, and then proceeded to lose the series versus Cal Baptist uh, after that. Uh, obviously, 3-3 three, three game late, and uh, Oklahoma's relief doesn't hold up versus Cal Baptist, and so they they lose the the rubber match Six to three. So uh, fr- frustrating. Three run, eighth inning homer that uh, the Lancers bounced out of the ballpark at Eldell Mitchell Park. So not ideal there. From negatives to a positive up in Allen Fieldhouse. I-, I thought that this was a sneaky, difficult game for Oklahoma versus Kansas. John, uh, you know, you just look at the way the afternoon played out and you look at the, the final score and Ultimately, it was that. It was sneaky difficult. Well, not even sneaky difficult. The team knew that it was difficult, I guess, for folks that naturally maybe weren't as in tune to the type of team that Kansas is. Maybe you're a little bit surprised by the final, but all's well that ends well. Oklahoma goes up to, to Lawrence, wins their sixth straight. They take care of business versus uh, KU 86-80, and now we're just inching closer to that showdown versus Texas. Yeah, I mean, this was a game that I, when I was writing up, kind of preparing for or writing my last post game on on women's basketball, that I remember thinking back to the last time they played Kansas and how they actually had a, a big first half deficit that they had to overcome in that game. And yeah, again, Kansas proved difficult again in this one on, on Sunday. Um, yeah, man, this, but this team, they're just too good offensively to, to keep down for very long. Now, the, the test is going to come when they play Texas because when they played Texas last time, the Longhorns, you know, they stifled them defensively. And so that, that's going to be a huge, huge test for them. But they're in a good spot to come away with their first regular season Big 12 title since like 2009. So, you know, big shout out to them. They're, they're playing, you know, phenomenal basketball right now. Um, more positive news, Josh, uh, the Oklahoma women's gymnastics team put up a really strong performance down at Fort Worth against Texas women's picking up the win 198 to 195. I mean, it's Texas women's. They're not going to be able to compete with Oklahoma. I mean, it, it, it's just, this is like 
Oklahoma versus Kent State on the football field. <laughs> yeah, well, Coach KJ Kidler's got a juggernaut over there, obviously. Uh, just Gymnastics just continues to do great things. Oklahoma men's gymnastics, a thriller versus Nebraska, and uh, Oklahoma able to register its second straight score of 418 or better to edge number three Nebraska. So, man, uh, the, the men's gymnastics team, a couple of huge wins here lately over Stanford and Nebraska. I mean, really, some would say their biggest competition ultimately when you get to, to fighting for it for a national championship. So a yeah, huge win on the men's side as well. It's Jim U, baby. I mean, come on. Well, what, what else is new? That's right. And then, you know, lastly, we got to talk about the, the men's basketball loss at Texas in Austin. Man, they it was very much reminiscent of what the team looked like before the Alabama win, just close losses, you know, having a chance late, not able to, you know, keep, keep the offense rolling, you know, went on a seven minute stretch or they didn't hit a field goal, but I mean, hung in there and, and battled back. I mean, they were down a couple possessions late in the game with, you know, a minute, two minutes left to play. And they found a way to, to tie the game on uh, Grant Sherfield. Uh, three-pointer that ties the game, sends it to overtime. In OT, they find themselves down big again, uh, down by seven at one point. And then, again, under two minutes to play, under a minute and a half to play, they're down by five, and they find a way to to get at least one more chance to tie the game. Uh, just wasn't able to, to get the shot to fall. So these last couple games against Kansas State and against Texas, I feel like, okay, we're turning a corner here. You know, we're not getting blown out. We're not – losing by you know 30 points or 23 points we're playing tougher is the result you're looking for not at all you want to win these games but you gotta like the direction that it's heading as we close out the regular season i'm starting to buy stock into the idea that the team needed to hear porter moser get in front of the microphone and say he's not going anywhere you know i i really do because uh you know ever since that moment it's it's been a totally different Oklahoma team it's frustrating because it, it's moral victory city with OU you're so desperate for wins coming down the home stretch here to give yourself any sort of a outside chance to get an at-large bid without going to win the Big 12 tournament now with each passing defeat you've got to win the Big 12 tournament and are we to that point yet I mean maybe not quite but we're really really close to that point uh I thought, man, when Sherfield's shot went down, okay, wow, they, they, they might find a way to get this thing done in overtime, but uh, just too too good of a start to OT for the Longhorns. Oklahoma fought, man. They fought their tails off like crazy, but, uh, man, I would have liked to have seen them go for the game-winning three at the end of the game there instead of Jalen Hill charging inside, and then Godwin uh, you know, got a good look but had to, had to really rush the thing because I think it left his fingertips with four-tenths of a second left on the clock. So he really had to get it away fast. So man, you know, hindsight being 2020, just get that ball to Sherfield, screen him and, and let him try and shoot you to a win down in Austin. It would have been gigantic, but they're playing hard, man. You know, I, I, I hate to be Mr. Moral victory here, but uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of where we're at right now with this program is any sort of positives we can take coming down the home stretch or obviously uh, into next season. That was a positive, though. It's a it's a loss. I get that. That's frustrating. The team played its tail off, and there's been plenty of other instances we can't say that. 
Yeah, you go on the road, you go to Austin, you're playing the number six team in the nation, and you lose by a bucket. Like, there's no shame in that at all, especially after you do have a stretch where you're not playing your best offensive basketball, you still have a chance to win. And I, and I think there's some, you can take positives away from that, even though it's a loss. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially as a team that is unlikely to make the NCAA tournament. Now they're going to have a chance to really bolster their resume. They got four games left. They play tech who's kind of surging a little bit lately. And then you got number 19, Iowa state, number 12, Kansas state, and then number 22 TCU. And then who knows in the big 12 tournament, like if you can, if you can win some of these ranked games and then, you know, make a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament. There's no telling what could happen. I don't think it's likely I'm not sitting here, you know, telling you to buy tickets uh, to the NCAA tournament or, or start, you know, making your travel plans for the regionals or anything like that. But stranger things have happened. You know, teams get hot and if you're shooting well, you can shoot yourself to a victory. So it, it's again, unlikely, but man, you just never know. So anything else, Josh, that we need to touch on before we get out of here tonight? Not really, but I will say the final, the fifth foul on Tanner Groves was an absolute travesty. Tanner, I'm sorry. The uh, officials down in Austin should apologize to you. That was one of the worst calls, one of the biggest flops I've ever seen. But a nice win for the Longhorns. Yeah, the flop horns. Anyway, sorry. That's that's a bad attempt at a Texas floppers. The Texas flop horns. The flop horn leg horns. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being part of the show. Make sure you're around for the live show on Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, where we'll dig into all sorts of goodness and goodies. Uh, But until then, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you then. Boomer Sooner.